Welcome to Real Life Podcast Conversations from Life Foursquare Church. We invite you to dive deeper into the more difficult topics of faith. Struggle to find understanding in biblical topics not often taught about from the pulpit? We may not have all the answers, but we are committed to the ongoing conversations as we search God's Word together. Mark and Lynn Cooper are our names. We are local pastors and we are your hosts today. This show is our attempt to answer questions in greater depth than a sermon allows. We look forward to the dialogue and conversations your questions will bring. You can email us at reallife at visitlife.org. This podcast will cover many biblical topics, some fun, some serious, and some will simply pique your interest. This podcast is sponsored by Life Foursquare Church. It's pushed by Austin Hemmen and Lauren Johnston. So today we want to pick up um, after our podcast last week, week two this week of end times. And last week we really just began to answer the question, are we in the end times? That's right. We we talked a little bit about um, the different types of literature that the Bible is comprised of, the, the different ways that God communicated and that those books, the many different books in the Bible were authored. We uh, focused on some of the prophetic literature, and we're going to spend some time today just walking through the book of Revelation and talking through some of that, I think, right? Today we want to get started and piggyback off of a moment that we discussed in our previous podcast about how to read God's Word. And we recognized that there are two ways that you really can read God's Word. Eisegesis is something that we're seeing a lot of lately, which really just means that God's Word is being read to prove a point or to support a a worldview or belief that is currently held versus exegesis, which is the proper way to read God's word, which is to allow God's word to then form your belief, to form your theology and, and ultimately change you and transform you. So with that understanding, I, I want to stumble upon the beginning uh, part of this podcast with asking a question that in our conversations in, in the church world, in our conversations with uh, church members and those that are curious, have come to us with different things, is how are we reading God's word as it pertains to the end times with our nation? And I'm asking this with a specific angle because we believe that we have found a kind of fork in the road when it comes to how God's word is being read as it pertains to America, specifically our country, and the end times. And and one of the things that we've recognized is that many people um, are reading God's word and forming opinion as though America is the same as Israel and, and the same benefit as Israel, which would mean that we are like God's chosen people, Jews. Now, we know the scripture says that we are grafted in, but when we begin to read God's word in this way, how can that change a narrative or perspective in our theology? Well, that's a really good question, and you've connected on a couple, um, I'd say two really good points. One is we often 
we can easily fall into the trap of looking for ourselves in the word of God. And we can easily fall into the trap of looking for our country, which is we, we make the statement and whether you agree with this statement or not, we actively make the statement that we are a nation that is governed by God. We are a nation under God. Whether that's true or not, that leads us to a place where we begin to look for God speaking about America within the Bible, and and I don't know that you're going to find it there. We can't we can't miss the purpose and the point of the Word of God. It is not to find ourselves in it, but it is to find God in it. Mm-hmm. And so, if the question is, do we see America in the Bible? Um, yes and no. You see every culture and every nation that has ever been or will ever be within the underlying lordship of God. Empires rise and fall based on God. But those promises that God has given to the nation of Israel are for the nation of Israel. And we should not superimpose ourselves or our country into those promises. So tell me why you would suppose that someone would read about Israel and assume that it would contain the same promises for America. How could someone make that jump? It, it, it happens, that jump happens simply through uh, poor exegesis. It, it, we read the scripture out of context and, and then we apply improperly certain promises or words uh, out of context to ourselves. Now, let me, let me tell you how that happens. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you know, who, who are you? And they say, well, we are Jews. Our father is Abraham. And he says, listen, uh, there's nothing biologically. Um, so your father's Abraham. Good. I could make these rocks be children of Abraham. The The truth is you're children of your father, the devil, is what he says. And so he correlates certain things spiritually rather than the way that they wanted to biologically. We, we want to come to a place where we read segments of the New Testament, and it says, like Lynn mentioned earlier, we've been grafted in. We are spiritual children of Abraham. Yes, spiritual children of Abraham. That is absolutely true. Based off the faith, the belief, and the action that was attributed to Abraham as righteousness, we also have righteousness attributed to us through Christ by our belief and action. And that is how we are children, spiritual children of Abraham. However, the promises God gave to Abraham about his descendants, the land that he was giving to them as a permanent gift— they don't transcend to our country, right? And they don't, they don't, we can't look at that contextual promise and apply it to us. It's not a promise to us. It's not a promise to any other nation other than the nation of Israel. So the next important question to me would be, where does America fit in the end times? That's a great question, Lynn. And I want it, I want to just simply say, listen, I know that we can we can get to a place where even talking about this stuff can cause some real conflict and cause some real hard feelings or hurt feelings. Does God love America? 
God loves people and God loves Americans. Does God love a country? I mean, countries rise and fall. I'm sure God loves every person on this earth. Nationalities are, are human. They're, they're, God's above that. He uses them. He directs them. He blesses them. And biblically, we see that he curses them. And so I don't think that we should bring uh, that the, the conversation of does God love a nation? Uh, he loves people. And so do we see, to answer your question and to even further this question and conversation, do we see America in the Bible? Some would say, yes, we do. There, there is, um, you know, prophecy that is um, somewhat, somewhat vague as far as in Daniel and in Revelation, nations are often compared to animals and they're often compared to beasts or uh, horns or crowns. There, there are some cryptic definitions or uh, cryptic pictures of different nations. And could we take and apply some of those pictures to our nation? Are there similarities there that might follow through? It's possible. It's possible. But I don't know that that brings us to a place where we can clearly see uh, our country playing a role in Revelation. I'll tell you what I personally believe. I don't see America in the the apocalypse, in the story of the unfolding, which is the book of Revelation. Uh, I, I see a world that is united. I see a system that is a singular system of government, I don't know how America would fit into that. So what you just heard was Mark communicate, this is not a theology that you're going to find in in Foursquare Doctrine. This isn't a theology you are likely to find. But he took his interpretation of understanding of what the Bible says and that's what makes end times study, end times conversation so unique is that truly there's only so many doctrinal points as it comes to end times. Doctrinal points are God's word says it. There's very little room um, of discovery there where theology is man's thoughts on doctrine. And so oftentimes theology is where we see the difference beliefs among churches. We see a difference among operation. Uh, and so that's really what we're speaking to now are some, some theological thoughts. And there's really quite a bit of room here for discussion. And that's why so many enjoy looking at and studying in times. And it's important to ask the questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you were to take a hundred different Christian commentaries on the book of Revelation, you would have a hundred different perspectives and a hundred different um, conclusions. Everybody would see it differently. That's part of the, the, the beauty of the book of Revelation. From early on, and, you know, it, the book of Revelation is a, it, it was likely penned um, 94 to 96, 
AD, you know, common era, uh, CE, however you want to classify that. But it, it probably first century, end of first century is when it was penned by the Apostle John. Some say while he was on Patmos, some say uh, shortly after his release. And whether whether you realize it or not, John was exiled to Patmos, the island of Patmos, but then was released. And he was an overseer of those seven primary churches in Asia Minor. Now, during the first, second century, those though, th- this letter was, of course, accepted. It, it, it fits perfectly in line with the other writings of John. It fits. Uh, there's very little question of its authenticity. It is, it is authentic. It is a prophetic uh, book. It is a, it is a, a letter written that has um, instruction to individual churches. It, it is a letter written that has uh, a continuation of the prophecies you see in Daniel. And the, the last half of Revelation really follows, it is almost it is almost a letter of clarification on the prophecy of Daniel. And so its authenticity is beyond question. However, what you see is because it is so, it it has throughout history been so widely uh, and diversely um, thought of, like people have come to many different conclusions based off their reading of this book. It has caused it to be somewhat of a quagmire. People get stuck in it. And they start looking for the things that they want to see or the things that they're seeing in their own life and in their own countries or in the, in the, in the, in the current situation of the world. And they end up drawing wrong conclusions. We have to, with this conversation and the question is an awesome question. It's a solid question. And it's a question on most people's minds. Do I see my country in the end times? And that answers an even deeper question of, are we living in the end times? And so this, this question isn't a bad question. It's a really great question, but it's not the pivotal question. The pivotal question is who is the primary character? What is the purpose of the book of revelation? Is it to prepare me so that I know how my country acts or how we, are we the heroes in this story or are we the villains, right? Listen, that's not the purpose of the book of revelation. The book of Revelation is the unfolding of the Lamb of God. It is the revelation of the Lamb of God. And if we can see that throughout the story, throughout the prophecy, throughout the instruction and the correction, then we're going to come to a proper conclusion. That's good. We are finding these questions all around in the in the Christian world where we're wanting to find the answer to something where really the purpose of God's revelation of what he has revealed, why he hasn't revealed the whole story is simply so that we stay encouraged about the mission that we understand. And we can say, okay, it's kind of like when, when you were home alone with your siblings and you knew mom and dad were going to be home at a certain time, what did you always do? Well, in, in, my world as a kid, I generally, we left crumbs ever. We had a, the best time ever. And about 10 minutes before mom and dad were supposed to be home, we scrambled to get everything done. Right. Yeah. And so I, I believe the intent really is to say, listen, you should constantly and with perseverance 
keep in mind the mission, which is the lost. Mm-hmm. And and don't don't get sidetracked here. All of this is for you to know when, hey, the time is coming. I'm the soon coming king. Keep that in mind and don't forget the mission. That's perfect. Uh, okay, so yes. Listen, listen to me on this. Check this out. Like this is super interesting. Um, how important was it during the apostle John's life with these seven churches for Christians who were experiencing severe and heavy persecution to be encouraged? And, and what you see of encouragement in the book of revelation is this God's at work. He's got a plan. It's working the way that he planned it. This is part of it. Persevere, persevere. There's coming a time when God's going to make all of this right and fix it all. That's the constant encouragement we see. Now, listen, that was for those first century Christians living in those churches, in those cities, and throughout the Mediterranean world at that time. John gave them good encouragement from Christ. Yet, it's also important for me because I'm living in a time where I'm seeing some of the same things happen and I'm experiencing some of the same things in my life. And so even though this letter wasn't specifically written, you know, when he writes to the seven churches, that's a specific letter to those churches with with those churches that had specific issues. However, the underlying foundational truth the word of God, it, it, it applies to me as well, even though I'm not part of those seven churches, even though I'm not living in that current time in that situation, even though I wasn't under the headship and leadership of the apostle John at that time, that truth still applies and it still speaks to me. And it speaks to me the same encouragement. What it speaks to me is, Hey, Mark, when you go through correction, when the Lord corrects you understand it's his love for you. He says, you're doing really good in this area, but you're struggling over here. And so don't, don't, don't lose sight of what he's saying. Don't lose sight of how he loves you. Don't lose sight of the fact that he's in control and that he's God. That is, is permanent. And it applies to every person who would have faith in Christ, even though it was a specific letter penned by an author to a specific audience at a determined time, right? And so some of those things are for them and the truth of why God would correct them out of love of what God expects of them who follow him still applies to my life today. Yes. And we see this conversation of end times also now as it is fall of 2020 engage the political aspect of our nation as we are in a volatile time that we've never seen uh, before. And truly, last week we discussed how really a sign for you of the end times was about the the heart of the believer being so cold and the willingness to end relationship over not seeing theology the same. Yeah. And so it, it really... I wanted to talk about this place today in in First Thessalonians where it talks about the Antichrist. Now, as soon as you say Antichrist, everyone immediately goes to end times. And we do want to recognize that is coming. But 
Thessalonians points us to something that is a little bit different. It talks about the spirit of the Antichrist being among us today. What that means is, though, the Antichrist, which is a person, isn't on scene as of yet. The spirit of the Antichrist is. And so what do we know about the spirit of the Antichrist? Well, the spirit of the Antichrist is going to do um, what the Bible has said it's going to do. It's going to bring about disruption and confusion and division. And and I think that we could see that. And, and I believe that in times in our politics are so intertwined at this moment because we're really seeing this. In fact, I've even heard this spirit being referred to in the church world as the anti-revival spirit that is really uh, working against what the Bible is saying or the commission and even the harvest of God's word. And, and I think we all could agree. Yes, I've seen, or I've experienced that type of division in the world today. Yeah, absolutely. This, this idea of, um, antichrist, maybe this is a poor illustration of this, but I, I want when when you read in the Bible that word antichrist, I want you to think in our own country we have a a, a seat of authority, a seat of leadership called the presidency. Now we've had many many presidents, and each of them have been a little different. Each of them were individuals, right? People are elected to that office of president, but the office of president itself has authority. It has power. It has role. And it is the same way with the spirit of antichrist with antichrist. It is sometimes referred to as a position or a spirit, a power. And it is sometimes communicated to be, especially in the book of revelation, it is communicated to be a specific person. And we know that that person is coming because he's spoken of literally within Revelation. But we also know that John and others say the spirit of Antichrist is here and present now. It's working in the world right now. And I would even say, and there's room for disagreement on this, but I would say that you see, you know, the word of God says that before the beginning of time, the Messiah was the plan. Christ was the plan. And so you see in the garden at the conception of sin, the working of the antichrist, Mm -hmm. you see that spirit very present from the beginning of humankind. And so it's been at work in the world, opposing the work of God for all, all of human history. And it's working now and it will culminate into a united resistance against God led by a person. That is the Antichrist. Now, listen, we, we get all worked up over it because when's it going to happen and who's it going to be? And is he alive right now? And, and you know, there's so many different things that come into play. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of that's just Hollywood. A lot of that is we've we've watched too many movies that have the the antichrist figure in them let's go back to what the bible says let's go back to what jesus what even what the point of letting us know 
there's an antichrist. Why would God say, hey. And and we weren't giving these glimpses in what's to come so that we're afraid. Right. The Lord has given us these glimpses so that we recognize, first, it should build our faith. Mm-hmm. Because my God prepared me and told me, right? But secondly, it should be a place of, yes, God, you are coming. You are returning. You told us that this would happen. And and still, let me stay mission ready. But it's not a place of, of fear. The reason I think it's a place of fear is simply not understanding God's word properly. There's a lot of misconception. And I think, to be quite honest or to be quite bold, to say that there's been some really bad teaching from the pulpit, you won't be tricked into anything. Uh, this you, is you aren't going to trip. And f- it's kind of like, oh, I didn't see that big hole in that big 666 there. Oops, I fell into it. You won't be tricked into this. Yes. And some of that comes from, you know, when John, you, you, you need to understand, we, not you, I'm sorry to say it that way, but we need to come to a place where we, when we read the Bible, we understand um, proper context. So John says something that has really caused some ripples throughout history. He says, for the man who has wisdom, let him discern the number of the Antichrist, 666. It is the number of man or the number of a man. And, and so what that's done is it said, oh, I got to figure this out. This is a word puzzle. This is a, this is a some kind of scavenger hunt where I've got to figure out and determine who that person is or how that, 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 that mark of the antichrist is going to be delivered and given. Now there's some clues as to the nature of the mark. It restricts buying and selling. It restricts uh, participation within a, a given culture. It, it is an aspect of control. We understand that, right? We see in Revelation that there's a mark on the foreheads of those who are gods, and there's a mark on the foreheads or the hands of those who are of the enemy, of, of the devil or the Antichrist. And so we've worked ourselves up in this place where we're trying to figure out, how can I avoid that? I might, I might make a mistake and accidentally, no, nah, do you make a mistake and accidentally get saved? No. No, of course not. So how are you going to make a mistake and accidentally uh, align yourself with Satan? Align yourself with the Antichrist. It is a choice. It will be a definitive choice. You will know what you're doing, and you will have to make a decision. Now, hopefully you've already made that decision. And that decision's easy for me because I've already made a decision that my life is marked by God. And I've given my life to him. And there's no room or opportunity for me to give something I don't own anymore to anyone else. Mm -hmm. My life is already given to God. And so there's no choice to be made. And, and whenever or however that mark or that choice comes, the, the allegiance needs to be given to the anti it's already made. I've already made that decision. Now I hope I'm not here when that comes. But if I am, it's not going to be a tough choice. That'll be another week that we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that. that later. But this is a perfect place for us to come to a close and end and today. So I, I want to end with this question that we all need to understand. And it, it's not a place of great theology. It's really just a place of positioning. And I believe that that is 
next to the mission that we have to reach the lost, I believe our positioning as believers in this season are vital to the harvest coming to know him. But what should our position of prayer and attitude be in this season of end times and quite frankly, even in this place of political disarray and confusion? Uh, man, that's a really good question. I, it's a really good point to bring up. I would say that most of us, in, including myself, um, have come to a place where I, I've had to recognize that much of my prayer life is dominated by me. It's about me. I see one time where Jesus prays for himself. Uh, and that is at the moment of his testing. But I, I don't see him oftentimes praying for, for his own strength or his own d- discernment or his own confidence or his own. He, he says from his own mouth, I do what I see the father do. I say what the father says. He's completely resigned himself and trusted the Lord with his own life. He's given himself to God and he trusts him. Our prayer lives sometimes get so eaten up with the things that we want. There's no time to inquire of what the Lord might want to pray what the Lord would have us pray. And I think even to add to that a little bit, We have to humble ourselves. I I believe a prayer that we've all prayed. If you've been in the church world, you've, you've begun to pray the the passage from second Chronicles 714, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray that humbleness means I'm going to lay down my thoughts, my motives, my beliefs in this moment. And we have to recognize that God very well might have a different point of view than the one we have, and even the ones that we have claimed to be biblical. We have to be willing to allow the Lord to direct our thought life, our prayer life, and our daily walk with him. And that means to humble ourselves and recognize that we just may not know it all. We just may not have all the answers that we thought we did. And even that we might be off a little bit on this or that topic, but are we willing to position ourselves and partner with what the Lord has called us to do in this season? Listen, it's, it's, that is such a good place to be. We, we do need to pray for the lost primarily. Yes. We do need to pray for our leaders as a matter of fact, we're instructed in Scripture to pray for our leaders. Whether you agree with them or not, we need to be praying for them. We do need to pray for those that are sick, for those that are needing healing, for those that are, are in, in sorrow. We need to be in prayer for those people and for those needs. Our primary purpose in prayer is the alignment of our will with his. In the Old Testament, what we see, and if you if you are familiar with Jewish culture today, what you see is that they pray Scripture, mm-hmm. they pray the Word of God, and and we may need to pray a little more the Word of God. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I hear a lot um, from friends, from people, that there's just this, this underlying concern for our country to be blessed, for our lives to stay unchanged, for us to be in a place of comfort and, and safety and security. And I don't know that that necessarily lines up with biblical scripture, with scripture. I, I, I think this, I think if we want our country to be blessed, then we need to be an obedient country because blessing comes from obedience. That's right. We and can so, not yeah. expect blessing outside of obedience. And so with that, I want to say thank you for joining us. We would love to hear your thoughts about today's topic. You can send an email at reallife at visitlife.org to give us your feedback. Real Life is a weekly podcast, Ministry of Life Foursquare Church in Decatur, Illinois. And we hope you have a great week and we're looking forward to continuing our conversation next time.